Little does he know. No, not at all. Hey, we're so glad uh, you guys are, are here this morning. It's always good to be home. Uh, this will always be our church home. We spent uh, a little over nine years here. We've been away for, for five, and uh, with the exception of that year we don't talk about, we've been back once every year to come and, and preach and teach here, and it's, it's an honor to come back and to, to be with you, to worship with you, to bring the word with you. And, and Weston always uh, comes, uh, gets, gets with me about the beginning of the year, and it's always a summer date, and he says, this is what we're going through, this is what we're talking through. And so he, he talked about how we were going to be going through the questions you guys asked. And I've, I did that in youth group a few times, and so I, I kind of know how that, that goes. And, and a few weeks ago, he said, hey, here are the questions that the folks asked. You let me know if you want to do any of these, right? And I looked over the questions you guys asked. Um, there were some pretty deep theological questions. There were some hot button issues. There were some, like, kind of politics things. And I remembered back that my third sermon I ever preached here over in the old auditorium was uh, Weston was going to go on vacation. He gave me the sermon that I needed to preach. And it was the first time that my grandfather was going to come hear me talk here at Bowling Green Christian. And so in front of God, my grandfather, and everyone else, Weston gave me the marital intimacy sermon to preach. And so because he's not my boss anymore, I am going to get some popcorn and watch as he answers those questions that I don't want to answer this morning. Not because I don't know it or don't feel prepared for it, but because I want him to suffer a little bit for that 10 years ago. So he's going to do that, and I'm not, right? Um, thank you for asking those questions of him, by the way. I think that's, that's great uh, for him to have to do. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I am glad to be here, but uh, just because I'm not answering one of those hot-button issue questions doesn't mean that um, today's question is not important, and that's what I want to talk about today. So uh, I, I know Jesse's already prayed, but I want to pray too as we uh, get started here this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this chance to gather uh, together. I, I thank you for uh, this, um, this moment where we gather around your word. Uh, Father, I pray that as we come here together today that we would hear from, from you in a new way. Uh, as somebody bringing your word, I know that I have a lot of responsibility this morning, so my simple prayer is that I would speak your truth and your love. And I pray that uh, myself, I pray that all of us together today, that we would do as the Bible tells us to do, and that's to be hearers and doers of your word. That there is this next step that you call us to take every time you open, uh, we open up your word, and I pray that we be obedient in doing that here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we're going to talk about trust. And we are not a very trusting people in our world today, are we? we and probably for valid reasons, but it's, it's pretty amazing to see statistics on the erosion of trust over the course of time. In 1984, there was 48.8% uh, of people stated that they believed most people could be trusted. And then the internet came, and in 2019, that number was down to 31.5% of people 
thought that most people could be trusted. In 1958, 73% of those surveys said that they trust the government always or most of the time. And in 2021, that was down to 24%, which was actually up. So yay, I guess, from 19% from the week before. We, we, are, we are mistrusting people. We are. We are mistrusting people, and probably for valid reasons. We have had our hearts broken. We have had our trust trampled on by, by other people that we really thought was going to do something, but they ended up not doing it. But today, I'm not going to talk about interpersonal trust. I'm not going to talk about trust with institution. Remember, that's one Weston has to do, because I'm not. I am here to talk about a, a really serious question, and one I think that we all deal with, maybe not every day, but definitely through seasons of our life, and that. The question is, can I trust God? Can, can I trust God? And I would guess that sitting here this morning or watching online, we are all in at least one of these categories and maybe we're a mixture of these categories. There's some of us here this morning and we say, you know what, I don't know that I trust God just because I don't know that there is a God. Right? I'm still feeling this out. I'm not entirely sure about this whole Christian faith thing. And, and so because I don't know that he exists, I'm, I'm not going to trust someone or something that I don't know is actually there. There's some of you who you would immediately answer this question. You know what? Yeah, I trust God. I trust God in every little thing in my life. Right? Every little thing in my life. I, I, yeah, 100% I trust him. There's others of us who would say this way. You know, as I read my Bible, I trust that God did those things in the Bible. But through my experience in my life, through some of the things that's happened in my life, through the way that I see the world and the way it's going, I'm not entirely sure that God does today what he did back then. And so I'm not entirely sure I can trust him to do those things in my life or in my world. And then I think the last category of people is this. It says, you know, I have faith that there's a God. I may even believe that Jesus is his one and only son, but I have a hard time or I don't trust God in every little thing in my life. And I think that's a pretty good overview. We, we probably all fit in one of those four categories or a mixture of those four categories. And so what I want to do today is answer that question. Can we trust God? And more specifically, in what ways can we trust God? And there's actually a story in the Old Testament that guides us in this conversation. Over the course of three chapters in the book of Joshua, we find how we can trust God in the ways in which he works. The, the first instance happens in Joshua chapter 5. And to get us up to speed in what's happened, Joshua 5 is the culmination of something that starts back in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God meets with this man named Abram. And he says, you're going to be the father of, of my people. The whole world's going to be blessed through you. And then he takes them and he shows them these boundaries. And he says, this is where one day your people are going to live. And because it was a promise, it, got, it became known as the promised land, or uh, another name for it is Canaan. It says, hey, this is, this is where your people are going to one day live here. And the issue was, Abram was getting up in age, and he did not have any kids. His wife was getting up in age. They had no kids together. And yet, through God, they eventually have children. Those children have children. But it wasn't straightforward. 
at one point, a couple generations removed from this, the, the people of God are sent to Egypt to escape a famine, and things go really well for them for a little while until the Egyptians look around and they say, there's a lot of people here that uh, aren't like us and they scare us and we should do something about this and they enslave them. And they enslave them for, for years and years and years and God's people cry out and cry out and eventually God leads them out of Egypt. He uses a man named Moses through whom he does a lot of miracles and signs and wonders and they head out of Egypt. And if this was like the Disney movie where everything wraps up nice and clean at the end, they would have left Egypt, they would have gone to Canaan, they would have thrown a party and they would have played the song that would be stuck in our kids' ears and heads for the next two years. Right, that's how that would go. But the issue was that um, that the people of Israel were fickle and they were hard-hearted. And along this journey, they had to take detours because of their disobedience. And in fact, there was one time that they were on the precipice of ending into the promised land, and there were some spies that were sent out. And there were twelve spies. Ten of them came back. Two of them were like, "Yeah, let's go." Ten of them came back and said, "They're big. They're scary. We don't think we can take them." And because of that disobedience, even though they were literally right there, they had to take a big detour for that entire generation to die because of their disobedience. But then we get to the book of Joshua, and Joshua takes over the lead of God's people from Moses, and he leads them through a second crossing of a body of water. They cross through the Jordan, and they encamp in this place called Gilgal. And when they get there, all the people of Israel are in this land that God, all those years ago, centuries ago, said, Abram, one day your people will be in this land. Joshua chapter 5 says this, that when they got there on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. And the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, the unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna from the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So they get into it, and it just so happens to be around the time of the Passover. Jesse talked about it a few weeks ago, and, and they celebrate this really holy meal, this remembrance of the deliverance of God's people from Egypt, and then God stops providing meals from them, right? Because as they were going through the desert, there was no DoorDash or drive throughs and there was nothing around, and so God gave them manna and quail to eat, and God stopped because they were there. They had arrived. They were in this land that all those years ago he promised to a seemingly barren man and woman that they, their descendants would inherit. And so what I want us to understand through this story is an important point in us trusting God. And that is that we can trust God to keep his promises. We can, 100% of the time, trust God to keep his promises. There were probably moments within those centuries in which God's people were like, we're getting farther and farther and farther away from this place that you said that we were going to end up. Not only that, we are enslaved in a nation that's not our own, and we're so far away from this, and yet God kept his promise. And as you read through the Bible, you see that God is a promise keeper. God is a God who says, Abram, you're going to have descendants, they're going to inherit this land 
God is a promise keeper who throughout the Old Testament says that I'm going to send someone and that someone is going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the one who's going to come and be my servant. He's going to bring my people back to me. And he does when he sends Jesus. He keeps his promises. Now, the issue that we need to make sure that we're clear on is, yes, there are some times when you read through Scripture that the promises given to those people belong to those people. And there's times that the promises belong to all of us. All right, so earlier in the book of Joshua, there's those verses that some of you have in your house, and there's some of you that maybe you have them on your bicep. I don't because there's not one. But if I could, um, I still wouldn't. But uh, the verses from Joshua says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and talks about giving you hope and a future. And, and, and let me tell you, spiritually speaking, 100%, that's true. But in this world, we may not have prosperity. In this world, we're not promised that. In fact, if this is the promise for everyone, Jesus didn't receive that promise because he was crucified. There are some times that those promises in the Bible are specific to that group of people in that situation. But that's, that's one thing. The, the other thing is there are promises that apply to you. So when Jesus says that God cares about you so much that he will always provide for you, he means it. That's for us. He says, if God feeds the birds in the sky, if he takes care of them, and you are so much more valuable to me than, than those birds, won't he also take care of you? He promises that he'll, he'll provide for you. He promises that if we will rely on him through the difficult parts of our life, that, that at the end of it, he'll make us more like Jesus. That, that he will refine us in the midst of that fire. He promises that he will, he will do that. And so there are promises like that that we can hold on to, that we know God always keeps his promises. There's a promise that he says that one day, and we don't know that day, but one day Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, there's going to be the eradication of sin and death and disease and sickness and, and, and rebellion and, and disunity. And all those things will be gone, not just temporarily, but forever. And when that day comes, Jesus and those saved by his blood will be in perfection and a perfect relationship with, with Jesus and with each other forever. God keeps his promise, and so that's why we look forward to that day. That God's going to keep his promise. He promises that he'll do this. And so when you're asking the question, can I trust God? Yeah. When you look at scripture and you see the promises that he makes, you can trust God that he's going to fulfill every single one of those. So the people of God end up in, there in Gilgal, and when we read it, it says that they were near this place called Jericho. See, that's the, the minor issue here with the whole promised land thing, is that there were well-established nations already living there, right? So, like, they couldn't just pull up and be like, I'll take this. And they're like, sure, my, my family has farmed this for 7,000 years, and not that long, but we've been here forever but you know what? You're right. You should have this. Take it. Everything's good. No, these are nations that have been there for a long time. They have big walls. They have big, big uh, armies. That they're, they're very intimidating. Remember, they had to take a detour because they were so intimidating that it scared them. And, and so they're standing there in Gilgal, and it's time to go into Jericho. And Jericho is this well-fortified city. And in Joshua chapter 6, we see God say this. He says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and fighting men. 
Now, there, I guarantee you, all those 40 years or so earlier, had they just relied on God, God would have delivered it then, but they chose to be scared instead. And so God says, I'm, it's yours. It's yours. I mean, it, it, that's what we wait on God to tell us, isn't it? That thing that's right in front of us, we're waiting for God to say, I got it. You're good. And, and so God's taking care of it. But then God keeps talking. That's one of the funny things about scriptures. There's times that God says something, you're like, oh, yeah. And then the next thing, you're like, why did you keep talking? And this is one of those things. He says, I've delivered this into your hands, but here's the thing. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times when the priests blow the trumpets or with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. I have given you the city, great, through a band performance, right? You're going to defeat them by the power of music. Really. These giant walls that are standing in front of me, one trumpet blast and a bunch of shouting is going to be enough to tear all of these well-fortified walls down. That's what God says. And you know what? That's what they do. They walk around once for six days, and on the seventh day, they walk around seven times. And at the end of that seventh time, we see this happens. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marked around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. So they do it. And the walls come crumbling down. Verse 20 says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. It actually worked. It actually worked. Not because there was the best trumpet player ever that caused it, but God says, all right, you're going to be obedient, and this is the way it's going to happen. This city falls. Their army falls. Everyone in that city, you save Rahab and her family. They're, they're, they're killed. They're, they're wiped out. They take all the things that they're supposed to take, and, and we'll see that they also take something they're not supposed to, but they come in, and they, they, do, they do exactly what God says but the issue is that that's not, that's not a single five-star general or even a one-star general's plan for attack when it comes to war, right? No one ever says, let's send in the marching band. Let's send in whoever. Let's, let's, let's try to win them over with a concert. Or No, this, this, we go in with, with, with a, a, an attack plan, and yet that's not the way that this works. And the reason why is because when God says, this is how I want this to work, God's going to, to work in that way. You see, you, you can also not only trust God's promises, but you can trust God's ways. You can always trust how he does things. Now, the way God does things, some things, isn't close to how we would do them or how anyone else would do them. But he, he told us that. 
in the context of salvation, in Isaiah chapter 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, here's the thing. I'm the creator, the God of the universe. I'm, I'm omnipotent. I, I know everything. I, I, you don't. And so kind of how I roll is a little bit more than you can comprehend. That's what he says. And you know what? We have plenty of evidence for it. Going back to that story in Genesis, he takes a 99-year-old man and he becomes the father of a nation. He takes a man with a speech impediment and makes him the spokesperson before Pharaoh and for his people and Moses. He takes his Messiah and instead of him being born in a palace he's born to an unwed pregnant or unwed teenager and he has a stepfather that's a carpenter and they're from the complete wrong neighborhood and when Jesus grows up he doesn't accumulate a bunch of people who who are, who are rich and who are powerful. He has the lowest of the low. He has fishermen and tax collectors and revolutionaries. The very first Christian sermon is preached by an ill-tempered fisherman. The greatest evangelist of all time was a man who previously, like literally years before, was going around killing Christians. And then God's plan for the rest of the time that we have until Jesus comes back is not to every single morning get up and with his finger right in the sky, love one another. I'm watching you. Yes, ask her out. Now God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send myself. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And they're going to live inside those who follow Jesus. And they're going to be my ambassadors. Why? Because God's way is not our ways, but God's ways are always the best way. Always. And so when God works, however God works, it's the way it's supposed to happen. We can trust God's ways. Even if it looks absolutely crazy, we can trust God's ways. And so you can imagine the euphoria of these people. They've been wandering in the desert, some of them for their entire life, and now they show up and they defeat this fortified city with just a trumpet blast and a, and a shout, and they wipe out everybody. They're feeling really good, and now it's time to go on to the next place. And this next place is this place called Ai. And we see this happen in Joshua chapter two or chapter seven. It says, "Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which was near Beth Haven, to the to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up, excuse me, go up and spy out the region.' And so the men went and spied out Ai. It says, when they returned to Joshua, they said, "Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there." So they go from scary fortified city to nobody's there, right? Hardly anybody's there. We're not scared of them. Just sin is part of our army. And so it says, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, and they struck them down on the slopes. And, this, and at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear, and they became like water. You guys ever had one day that everything goes awesome and the next day it's the complete opposite? Like you've experienced euphoria 
and then you experienced opposite word um, disaster whatever um, I speak for a living and I can't think of that word anyway you, this is what they're going through this is great we just defeated this entire city and everything's great let's go beat these people oh, they're not very big they're not very strong just send a few people and they come back and they're routed and now we look at the, the Bible and we say, they had 3,000 people, they lost 37. I mean, that's not really a route if you would consider that. But here's, here's what we do need to consider. You know how many people we see in Scripture died in Jericho? None. Constantly throughout God's journey with his people, when God leads them into victory, we usually don't get a death count on God's side. And so this is massive that, that there are people who are dying and, and they, so they come back and it says that their hearts melted. Why did this happen? Well, we get why it happens. There's a man named Achan and they were supposed to stay away from the devoted things in, in Jericho and they took some. But the second reason it happened is because notice what didn't happen. They did not consult God. They didn't consult God. They didn't stop and say, God, what do you want us to do next? They just said, hey, we just beat Jericho. This little nation is ours. Let's go. They didn't stop because if they had stopped, God would have told them, you're not going to beat them unless you do something first. And sure enough, later in this chapter, they defeat the, the nation of Ai because they take care of Achan and his family who sinned against God. But they didn't stop and they didn't ask. And, and what does it say? It says that their hearts melted, that, the, that it became like water. And I think this is the source of that question that we wrestle with, isn't it? Because there's times where we just assumed God was going to do something, and God didn't do it. Or there were times where we asked God to do something, and God didn't do it. And because we assumed, and because we presumed that, he, presumed that he was going to answer our questions in a certain way, that became an issue for us because we said, well, I don't know if I can trust him. It's a time that we, we prayed. And we just had confidence in that God was going to heal that loved one who was struggling with that sickness. And now when you go to that graveside, every single time you're like, what was he doing? It's a time that you prayed and you really felt like my next step is going to be this on the, on the business ladder that I'm climbing up on or this is going to be the school that I get into, the scholarship that I get and, and you watched it go to somebody else. You watched your, your employment get terminated and you said, God, this is not at all what I thought. We go in through life and we say, God, this, this is what I want. This is, this is what I desire. And you know what makes it even harder? Makes it even harder when somebody else prayed for it and got it? Doesn't it? So every time you go to that conference where somebody stands up and says, we prayed for my wife's healing and she was healed, and you sit and you say, why didn't that happen to me? Or you look and you see somebody that you went to high school with because you Facebook stalked them, and you see that they are terrible, like that they're they're comparatively a terrible person, right? And yet they 
continue to work up this social ladder and their house like could fit your house in their bathroom and and you say that's not fair and that's when we stop trusting God but you see here's what we have to understand you can trust God's promises you can trust God's ways but you can also trust God to do his will because his will is the right path it's what he has planned and even if part of his will doesn't overlap with ours it's still the path we need to go on and when we run up against this we are left with this kind of realization and that's you know what if his promises never fail if his ways are not my ways and even if he doesn't do what I want him to do, what I think he should do, what, what I really desire, then it's okay because his plan's better than mine. And that takes maturity. So the reason I picked this question is because this is the question that my wife and I have been asking for a year and a half. Not in theory, but in practicality. Last summer, uh, we, we went on, on vacation with, with her parents. And when we, there was one night in that vacation, uh, we were sleep deprived because vacationing with kids is not a vacation. And, and yet, we looked at each other almost at the same exact time. And we both said, I think we need to move home. And we have been in Ohio for five years and they have loved us and they've taken care of us and our ministry, God has blessed that ministry. Before that year that we don't talk about earlier, then that stuff happened. This church was double the size that it was. In those five years, there have been 50 baptisms. Things are, are going great up there and yet there is this, just inside of us, is like, I think we need to go home. I think we need to be in our family's life and our family be more in our kids' life. And, and yet we knew this was going to let down a whole lot of people. We knew that we loved this place and we loved these people. And so we kept praying. We didn't in that moment come back and say, yeah, we're leaving. We, we waited for another year. And we kept saying, God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And there was really silence. We don't know what's next. And then God opened up a door for Lindsay to have a job in Frankfurt, and, and we took it. And then I'm over there in the corner and be like, hey, God, did you forget about me? Like, she's everyone's favorite. It's okay if she's yours, but still, come on. And kind of the response that I've gotten, it wasn't an audible voice or burning bush or anything like that. It was this. I need you to move home. I need you to rest. And I need you to wait. And only one of those three sounds good. And so we've wrestled with this. Can we trust God? And over the course of our time looking into this, we've asked the question, when has he ever failed to provide for us? When has he ever failed to do more than we ever thought that he could? 
So we're going to take that step. Now, I, I ascribe to the, you never make yourself the, the hero of the story when you do a sermon. So I want to let you in on something. I have, like, panic attacks every other day. Just being real with you. Sitting up straight in bed, sweat dripping off of me, scared to death. And so I'm not trusting God at all times and be like, everything's going to be great. I'm still struggling with this. But you know what? That answer is yes. That answer is yes for me and my family, and that answer is yes for you. You can trust God to keep his promise. You can trust God in his ways, and you can trust God to do his will. You can always do it. And it may not be easy, but aren't you grateful that you serve a God you can trust? because it seems like we can't trust anything else, right? So I, I want to invite you this morning, um, as we sing this, this next song, I want to invite you to give over your questions. Give over your fears. Give over those moments of hurt that still remain in our lives where we thought God was going to do something and then he didn't do it. And we give it to him and say, you know what? I'm going to trust you. And it may fight everything that's inside of me, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust what you think is going to be best. Because you're the God who keeps his promises. You're the God whose ways are higher than my ways. You're the God who, who I, when I pray, I pray that your will be done. So... I want to pray that today. And today, um, maybe there's a step that you need to take in your faith journey, and that is to just talk with somebody about trusting God with your life and following Jesus and maybe what that looks like. Maybe talk to somebody who's near you. Talk to, I'll, I'll go, I'm be sitting out here with my family, and maybe you just want to talk to me, and that's fine too, but don't leave this place if you got something that you really feel like something needs to be said without saying it. So here this morning, can I trust God? Yes. And th we are so thankful that that answer is yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come here today, um, we know that trust does not come easy.